0: 12 years ago, um, on uh, December the 16th, 2007, was uh, Pamela and, and my first service here at New Life. 12 years ago. Well, like in another week or two, it'll be 12 years. So December 16th, and I came to church that day. That day, there was a very bad blizzard outside. And I was new to the area. I didn't know what the tradition of the church was, if... People would come or not. So I got all ready to preach. I got on my suit. In those days, pastors wore suits, by the way, with a tie. <laughs> but um, I came to church that day, and nobody was here. I turned on all the lights and shoveled the sidewalk out there. And, and, I, and at the time, we had three big chairs in the back. Uh, they were like king's chairs. And I sat in one of the king's chairs, and I just waited for the church to come. My first Sunday in New Life. And I'm watching the clock. It's 1045. It's 1050. It's 11 o'clock. It's like 10 after. And all of a sudden the door creaks open and a voice says, hey, is there church today? I said, well, it's me and you, brother. Let's have church. And uh, that was Michael Sullivan. Now, Michael Sullivan was here this morning at, at the 830 service. Uh, he, and he came, his wife, uh, his uh, fiance was in, in his truck outside. But that first Sunday, um, we, we had a really short service that day. Uh, but the next Sunday, I brought my message back, and then there were, there were, of course, there were people here that Sunday, the 23rd of December, the, the Sunday before Christmas that year. But I preached a message uh, that was entitled, uh, Where Are the Shepherds? And I found the sermon uh, the other day. I was looking through some old stuff I had, and I, I looked at the message. I looked it over, and I said, wow, that's a good message. I think I'll rework it and preach it again now. And I felt quickened to preach it today. So I'm going to preach, uh, a message I did preach. It's, it's reworked. It's, it's, it's different, but it's similar. Uh, and I wonder, I don't want to ask. I wonder if, if there's anybody here now that was here then. Uh, when you might have been here, Bill, Bill and Heidi might have been here. Jerry, you were here. Uh, there were a few people at the early service that, that were here. Maria, you were here. So, uh, it's good to have you back again, you know, now, 12 years later. Yeah, you, Pamela was here. That's right. So anyway, uh I'm going to th- the message today is entitled Where are the where are the shepherds today? Where are the shepherds today? And this will be the first of several messages uh regarding Christmas because there's five Sundays in December this year. Uh we already mentioned that the 15th is our children's play. It's called Look Up. Bring a friend that day. It's going to be a great presentation. Only one service that day. And then uh, we'll have a, a Christmas Eve service on the 24th from 6 to about 7.15 or so. So uh, those will be our special services. Anyway, take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to start reading at verse number 8. And uh, I, I realize that this is probably familiar But you know what? May the word of God never get old to us. That's why we pray, Lord, make it come alive. Even if I've heard it a 100 times or 500 times or whatever, your word is still your word. Make it come alive for me today. So it begins, Luke 2 and verse number 8. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Lord God, thank you for this word. Thank you that a savior has come. Thank you, Lord, that somebody told somebody and somebody finally told us about you. We pray, Lord, your blessing over the sermon. Lord, let it give you glory and honor. Let it, let it, let it, let it bless you, Lord, as we proclaim your word and may your church receive your heart in a special way today. May we be better built up, better established, better edified by your word this morning. We thank you for it. Help me to preach it the way you want. Oh God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I wanna look at verse number 11 uh, just as we get started because it's very important to recognize there is born unto you, you and I. We have a savior. No matter what you're going through, what you're dealing with, you've got to know, be reminded, you have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever hardship or difficulty, if you're in the valley or the mountaintop, Jesus Christ is your Lord. And and He will never forsake you. He will never walk away from you. Like maybe an earthly friend might. He will never walk away. Christmas reminds us that with Christ, there is always hope. No matter what we're dealing with in life, if we've got Christ, we've got hope. Because he is hope. If he's living within us, no matter what we're dealing with, with our families, our money, our jobs, or whatever whatever's going on in life, if we have Christ in us, we have hope. And so may Christmas be real to you this year like never before. Um, I was an adult when I first uh, saw this movie. I never read the book. I should. But the 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 movie and the book is called *The Christmas Carol*, written by Charles Dickens. It was published in 1843. And the first time I saw this was the old version. And there's a new version, but the old ver- the old one is really special. And uh, it's a story of uh, a very miserable person named Ebenezer Scrooge. Incidentally, there was a family member of mine growing up, and my, my aunt Mary, my aunt. Uh, Angie always called him Scrooge. I never knew why until I found out this story, but they referred to this relative as Scrooge. Well, Scrooge was miserable. She did it in a loving way. <laughs> but Scrooge was miserable. He he hated everybody, everybody, he was just mis- a miserable soul. And he went to bed on Christmas Eve, just as miserable as miserable as ever. And he had this dream. God allowed him to have a dream. And he was taken back by the spirit of Christmas past. The spirit of Christmas present and spirit of Christmas future, and he saw his life, past, present, and future, and what it was going to end up like, unless he changed. Before he had that dream, in the in the prelude to the dream, his old business associate, Mister Marley, appeared to him. Now, Mister Marley was just as miserable as Ebenezer Scrooge, and here, here, here. Now he died, and now he's sitting there in the, in the dream, chained up, looking like just miserable, sad, lonely, hurt, depressed. And he appears in Ebenezer's dream to tell him, you've got to change your ways or you're going to end up like me. And so uh Mr. Marley's life was... You know, he was mean spirited, had a bad attitude, always put people down and his legacy lingered throughout life. Now his legacy is written down for all of eternity. And he's appearing to Ebenezer Scrooge to change your ways. Don't end up like me. And if you know the story, when after the whole thing happened, when Ebenezer Scrooge awakened that next day, Christmas morning, when he realized he was alive. Oh my goodness, he was giddy. He was beside himself. He kept—he couldn't believe he had another chance to get it right. And he did everything he could to make amends with people and to show people that he was a changed person. And this is the story and the reality of Christmas. Christ has come to give us a new life, to break off the chains, break off the chains, and to set us free. I remember when in 2007 when I preached this message, Remember, there used to be, for those of you that, that have been here for a while, we used to have a, a big chain on the platform up here. Remember, you remember that, Wayne. We had a big, a piece of a chain, a big, heavy, clanky chain. And it was there to remind us that the Lord has broken us free from the chains. I don't know where that thing went. I think somebody stole it. But anyway, that's another sermon. But anyway, uh, that, that day there was a chain. I picked up the chain. And I said, do you want this, these, this clanking of the chain? And it sounded like you know bad. It sounded. Or do you want to have the sound of Christmas bells? And I rang a little bell. Do you want the clank or the bell? And we want we want the bell. We want the Christmas bell to be ringing in our lives, signifying we are set free. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. So uh, we're going to go through the story. I want to talk about the three main characters in the story. Uh, and then we're going to make some application about the shepherds and how they can affect our lives today. So where are the shepherds today? The first, the first, uh, the first characters in the story are, of course, the shepherds in verse number eight. They were out in the, in the same country, uh, shepherds there living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. There's something about that. I've always liked this, this, uh, part of the Christmas story that the shepherds were included. Personally, uh, it seemed like my life, uh, everywhere I I turned in my life, I was surrounded by blue-collar people. Do you know what I mean by blue-collar people? Just average people. Uh, I was surrounded by, well, of course, my father was a house painter, but painters and plumbers and carpenters and car mechanics and factory workers, but even even uh, as I grew up a little bit and I got familiar with other more professional people, if you will, uh, they had a sense of blue collarness on them. in other words, the, the doctors that I knew as a kid were earthy. Uh, the teachers were practical, the religious leaders were down to earth, in fact, Father Milano at Corpus Christi Church used to play basketball with the guys uh, during the weekday in the gym. I thought that was pretty cool, so I grew up appreciating the blue-collar part of our society. So when I read that there's shepherds in this story, it makes perfect sense to me that God would reveal himself to the common man. These guys were not wealthy, but they were steady. They were not educated, but they were smart about their trade. They weren't religious per se, but they respected God, and God respected them. So the beauty of this story is that God tells these very average individuals some tremendous news, which, which reveals the character of God, doesn't it? God is always about looking for someone he could impart to. He's looking for someone that's looking his way that he could pour into. He's looking for someone that will worship him and serve him. Luke 19.10, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so he's always looking, always reaching out and when we think back in the word of God, for instance, Adam, Genesis 3, Adam, where are you? God reaching out. We think about David who had committed great sin. The Lord sends Nathan, the prophet, David still doesn't get it. And Nathan, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit says to David, David, you are the man, but God reaching out to him to convict him and to help him. We think about Paul on his way to persecute the Christians on Damascus Road. And as he's on the way to do that, God interrupts his life and throws him to the ground and says, why are you persecuting me? And I just want to make a comment here that God interrupts a life really well. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Didn't he interrupt your life? Didn't he come into your life at a moment when you didn't know what was going on? See, he's doing the same thing today. This, This story is reminding us we're in the story. We're we're part of the Christmas story because we're part of the common people that he has reached out to. Now, today, things are a little bit different as far as, well, there's still the trades people that, that I mentioned earlier. But whether you're an office worker, a computer programmer, a medical uh, professional, or in the police or security area, or a teacher, a social worker, various uh, technicians that are involved, the point is, is that God knows who you are. God knows what you are, and God knows what you need. He's not waiting for anybody to get better to reveal himself to. He reveals himself to us just as we are. Hallelujah is right. And so the shepherds represent each one of us, regular people taking care of business, working the night shift in that case, and the Lord wants to include each of us In the Christmas story, John 1 12 says, whoever would believe on him, whoever receives him has the right to be called a child of God. You don't have to wait till you have some degree or some area of success in your life. Wherever you are in life, if you turn to him and receive him, you will be called a child of God. And that's a big part of the Christmas story. Amen. (laughs) The second group of characters are the angels. The angels, verses 9 through 13. Notice uh, there that, first of all, there was one angel that appeared. It says uh, in verse 9, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I, I just, you know, as we studied Revelation this past year, we saw many passages where angels were around the throne of God, praising God, giving him glory you know recognizing his power his lordship etc and and the angels are messengers of god he sends them they they send, they get to give a word they protect they watch over god's people but this one angel came from the from the heavens from the glory of god and came down to earth and lit up the area where he was appearing to the shepherds that's why when i see christmas lights i'm i'm reminded of the glory of god you know, when you have lights on your house, or lights on your tree, or lights in your yard, or whatever. Whenever there's a light in the darkness, it, it, it's symbolic of the glory of God falling. So here, one angel comes, and he proclaims this, this good news. And then in verse 13, it says, a whole multitude came. And they were singing praises to God, glory to God in the highest, etc. And and the amazing thing is, in my mind is, these angels were in the presence of God, and God sends them out to minister to these lowly shepherd people in Israel with a great message. I think there's three great messages in the Bible. Well, they probably name more, but I'll say three for right now. The first great message is, there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And God chose shepherds to hear that message. That touches my heart. He's always after the regular guy, the, 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 the Joe Blow, the, the regular guy that's just living his life, getting things done. He wants to reveal his love to the average person. The second greatest message, we, we read about it in, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, um, he is not here, he is risen. It's a great message. The third message is yet to come, 1 Thessalonians 4, when the Lord said, the Lord will descend with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will arise. And we who remain will be caught up with them in the air. And so there's some great messages. But the fact that God chose angels to come to announce to these shepherd people, poor people, regular people, just working. This great message tells us a lot about the very heart of God. And so this message continues. You know, this message continues. By the way, I saw on Facebook uh, last night, I think it was, uh, Michael Caprini, who used to attend here, married Samantha Berry. Michael was in several car accidents this year. He put a picture on Facebook of his most recent car accident, which I think was yesterday. The car was demolished. He walked away without a scratch on him. And my comment was, thank the Lord for his angels that have given you protection. It's very true. It's very true anyway so the so they gave a message. The message is repeated. Paul refers in 2 corinthians eight uh, you know uh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus left his throne in glory, came to live on earth, and we're richer for the fact that he did that first timothy three sixteen if there 's ever you have ever have an opportunity when someone debates with you or questions was jesus god this is very there's several scriptures but this is one very important one it says without controversy great is the mystery of godliness that god was manifested in the flesh you can't get much clearer than that the god came and lived in the flesh Justified by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. And we still proclaim that message today, that Jesus has come. I thought about the unlikely combination of angels and shepherds. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's not so unusual. It's God's way of bridging the gap of heaven and earth, of flesh and spirit, of God's love and sinful humanity. So the angels are a very important part of the Christmas story. The third character, of course, in the story, is uh, is Jesus. We see him referred to in verse twelve, uh, where the, the angel says, "You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes." In verse sixteen, they found the babe lying in the manger. Verse seventeen, uh, the, the, the 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 shepherds went out and and uh, told the story of this child, and so all that reminds me of Isaiah nine sixteen. Which says, uh, unto you, a child is born, a son is given. So Jesus came as a baby, and he came to redeem the world, a, a fantastic way that he came into the world. And, um, I find it fitting that, uh, the Lamb of God, uh, came to reveal himself to the world, but first, firstly, to, uh, to the keepers of the sheep. Uh, very, the, the very sacrifices that Israel would, would give to, God, God later. But the Lamb of God appears to the keeper of the sheep. I find that an interesting creative dynamic. As well as for the good shepherd to appear, or the chief shepherd to appear, to reveal himself to the earthly shepherds. And so we have this creative way that the Lamb of God is, is being presented as the Lamb of God among the, la- the earthly lambs. And the great shepherd, the chief, chief shepherd, is being presented to the earthly shepherds. I think about other scriptures. I think of David, who was a shepherd as well. But in Psalm 23, verse 1, David writes, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? And then we read other scriptures. John chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John ten eleven. I never really put this together, but John 10, 10, most of us know that the thief comes to kill, rob and destroy. But but I've come to give life and give it abundantly. The next verse says, for I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So, yeah, Jesus is presenting himself here as the one that would lay down his life and give his life as a ransom. So so God tells the angels the angels go and tell the shepherds, the shepherds come and pay homage to the Christ. Thus fulfilling the word of God in Galatians four four, which says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. So we're here to proclaim, Jesus Christ has come. This is one of the greatest times of church life and church history where we have a platform to spread the news. I think already there's Christmas songs being played in the stores and whatnot. It's a time to capitalize on the on the uh, culture that we live in and put a personal touch to the message that's going forward. So, the shepherds. I want to go into a little bit more detail about this. Where are the shepherds today? I'm not talking about pastors and church leaders. Rather, I'm talking about humble believers with shepherd-like qualities. All right? So there's some things we could learn from this story. So 2019 uh, is coming to a a close. 2020 is right around the corner, which I find that really amazing. Wasn't there a news program named 2020 that it was like way in the future when it came out? Well, here we are. 2020 is a reality. We live in a very complex world, very fast-moving world. The communications today are totally off the charts you know, that incident that happened in London this week, the terrorist on London Bridge, that thing was broadcast like within minutes of it happening. Like, like there's, there's film, there's things happening like, like right after that broadcast all over the world. The, the, the time frame is very short. Things go out very quickly. There's, um, people are flying, people are in buses, people are in cars. People love Main Street every workday. Uh, there's computers and iPads and Twitter and Instagram. There's online banking, online shopping, online education. Everything is online. But I, what I'm trying to say is in spite of the different culture we live in, we've got to simplify our faith. And our faith, faith has always fit into the culture where people lived. Whether it was a year The year, what, 50, or the year, you know, or now, and everywhere in between. The the culture of the church, of the Christian person, always fit into the culture around them. We can never let the culture around us affect how we live our lives. That would be the worst thing that we could do. Although, if I could be honest, we do see a taste of that happening culturally, such as the importance of a Sunday morning church service. Or midweek Bible studies or fellowship and things like that. People are so busy. They're putting that on, on like the back burner. But anyway, I want to talk to you about four different things about these shepherds that I think we could, uh, apply to our lives. So I'm going to give you four qualities. The first quality is this, is that they lived by faith. They lived by faith. In verses 10 and 11, they heard this good news, right? They heard this announcement that, uh, that, first of all, there was good news. Second of all, that the Christ was born, and he was going to be born in Bethlehem, and um, he was going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They simply believed. They didn't have to Google it to check it out. They heard it. They believed it. And sometimes when we hear the word of God, we just have to believe it. Verse number 50, they acted on their beliefs. They went down there to see what was going on. They confirmed it all. But our faith is our greatest commodity. Remember the story of the the Christmas carol? Old Ebenezer Scrooge, when he woke up that day, he believed he could be different, and he was different, that God worked in his life. Everything after that was affected by that moment when he realized he was born again. Are we the same way? See, I, I believe our faith must affect us Forever. Forever. We are we, and we live by faith and we we trust God by faith. I think of, um, you know, that story of Ebenezer Screws actually reminds me of a story in the Bible where there was a rich man. That was a sinner, terrible man, kind of like Ebenezer before he was reformed. And there was a, a poor man who was a, a good man. And the rich man died and went to a place called Hades, hell. And the poor man died, Lazarus was his name, and he went to a place called Abraham's Bosom. And, and the, the rich man saw him over there. And there was a divide between them. And he, he kept on saying things like, hey, can you give me some water? It's, I'm burning in here. And, and he said, no, I can't, I can't cross over. Uh, can you come over and minister? No, I can't go there. Then he said, can you go tell my brothers so that they won't end up like me? This is Mr. Marley and Ebenezer Scrooge. And the man, the poor man, says, "You know what? Even if someone rose from the dead, they still won't believe. They have Moses and the prophets." And I would say, "We have Moses and the prophets. We have the teachings of Jesus, the writings of Paul. We can believe if we want to believe." And so, we we need to hear the word and just believe in the word. And I want to ask the church: Do you believe in this gospel? And how much do you believe? Because many times I'll ask people, "Do you believe in God?" Yeah, I believe in God, and I, I, I get into discussions. How much do you, you believe in God? You know, how, what do you believe about God? Do you believe God for your entire life? Do you believe, or do you believe God like I used to do when I was young to get me out of a jam? Oh God, help me now! Right? How many? Of, we've all been down that road. God, if you do this, I'll never do that again. You know, got my fingers crossed, but. But how, how, how much do you believe God? See, salvation is only derived through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it. He conquered death. He rose the third day. He ascended. He's coming back again. And are we living like we're ready for this? And remember, we're talking about uh, the qualities here of a shepherd. Simply a shepherd. Yeah, Romans 1.17 says, The just Shall live by faith, right? the just shall live by faith, just like Abraham did, just like just like Peter and Paul and James and John did, just like David Wilkerson did, just like Jim Simbola and Rick Warren and Joel Olstein do. I thought i'd get a reaction from you on that one, but they 're all living by faith, these guys you know and 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 someone would say, "How do I get faith? How do I get faith romans twelve three says You already have a measure of it. When you're born, you have a capacity for faith. God has blessed you with faith already. Everyone is born with faith. Romans 12, 3. And then Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And I I really believe there's something about hearing the word of God, hearing preaching, reading it, studying it, meditating on it. It activates what faith we have and increases it. So, you know, what are we going to do? You know, how, how are we going to do this? Uh, and, and then and John, John 3.16, I never looked at it this way. But John 3.16 is really a scripture that talks about the choice that we have to make. We can choose to believe or choose not to believe. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever would believe, you mean we could or we couldn't. That's up to us. So we need to decide to believe in God. And sometimes that's all it takes. We, we make a decision. I will serve the Lord. What did Job say? Though he may slay me, yet I will serve him. I will serve the Lord. I will believe in God. But we don't have to wait for some, something to happen supernatural. It's a choice that we that we do make. So where are the shepherds today? Someone that would live by faith. And I'm not talking about You know, there's great controversy in the church today of what your faith will do for you. Oh, you'll get a new car, you'll get a new house, you'll get this or that, you'll get money and blah, 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 and you'll never get sick. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about faith in God to save my soul and to empower me to be a witness in this life until he comes back to get me. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. So, yeah, so we're the shepherds today that live by faith in spite of circumstances. That whole thing about the prosperity message. I always say this to people. All right, take it to a third world country and tell me how far you get. Because those people, those Christians over there that are living in abject poverty have way more faith than you or I have. And they're the living in the very difficult situations, but they're praising God and living for God. Now, I experienced some of that when I visited some different countries in the past. I saw poor people line up to go to church on a Sunday, line up with their Bible in their hand, waiting for church to begin. If only that could happen in America. There were people outside the windows, because there was no room in the the sanctuary, listening to the word of God. All around the church, people listening on the outside. Poor people, poverty-stricken people, hungry for the word of God. That's what I call living in faith. Secondly is this, okay, they were an obedient people, these shepherds. They were obedient. The second quality, verses 11 and 12. uh, They heard the story, just to paraphrase verses 11 and 12. uh, You know, uh, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. This will be a sign to you. To paraphrase, I'm telling you what's going to happen. Go check it out for yourself and see. They believed it, they obeyed it, and they went to see. Down in verse number 15, uh, they went and uh they said, you know, they they checked it out after the and after the visitation of the angels left, there they were waiting and trying to figure out what to do. They acted on it, they went. As Brian would say, vamonos. As, as Richard Andreosi would say, Andiamo. As I would say, skadoo, let's go get them. But they went down there to see what was going on. They were obedient to the word of God. And sometimes we just need to be obedient. Isn't that what we we parents always tell our 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 children? If you would only obey me. I hear echoes of my father saying, if you would only obey me. Yeah, it just goes around and around, but it's so true. But obedience, listen to this. Obedience allows us to flow in the spirit of God. Now, some of us never experienced the flowing of the Holy Spirit because we're not really submitted to God. We want it, it sounds good, we we see it with other people, but we're not there yet. But when we're obedient, we can flow with the Spirit of God. You ever notice when you're obedient to God, when things happen, you're not so easily riled or affected or, or bothered by life or by things. You're just flowing with the Spirit because you know you're in obedience to God. and And, and obedience brings God's approval and God's blessing upon us. So we need to be obedient like the shepherds. We need obedient shepherds today. Luke 10, 25 to 28 is the great commission, or the great commandment, rather, where Jesus said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? The great commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. New Testament teaching would say, crucify your flesh, live live in, your, in the spirit man, pursue God. And these other New Testament teachings, I just want to say a few. And I realize this could be a whole other sermon right here, but I just want to give you a couple of things to think about, because as I was getting ready for this, I realized if I say these things, for some people in Christendom, it's going to sound like I come from outer space. It's going to sound like, is he kidding? But this is the Word of God. I want to give you the Word of God about obedience. New Testament church, whether it's the year you know, 30, 35 A.D. or 2019 A.D., this is the Word of God. So just listen to, I'm just going to paraphrase some of the teachings in the New Testament. No sex before marriage. Really? If, you, if I say that in the world, or the church, many people will look at me like I have three heads on up here. Are you serious? Everybody is doing it. You know what? Everybody's not doing it. And if they were, it still wouldn't make it right. The Word of God is very clear. So how can we flow in the Spirit if we're not living in the Spirit? That's just one area. And it goes even deeper than that, but it says, avoid the appearance of sin. Oh my goodness. Just when I got off the hook, I thought I got off the hook, I got to worry about this one. <laughs> I can't do things that don't look appropriate or that don't, they don't look proper for a Christian. Did I ever tell you this? I, I used to work in a, in a vocational rehab program and, uh, we worked with handicapped people. One of my, my job was to find work for these people to do. And so I, I contracted different things. And there was one company I contracted with. It was alcohol free beer. We had to put these beer bottles in a, in a, like a six pack container. No alcohol. And, and so they gave us some to drink. But did, did you know I, I couldn't even drink that? Because it looked like beer. The beer bottle was identical to a bottle I used to think about when I was young. The label looked identical. It tasted identical. I felt guilty just holding it in my hand. And uh I, I just I think there's there's some things we have to just avoid. The appearance of evil. No that wasn't alcohol. I can just see if someone saw me drinking that in my car or whatever, they would think, oh, he's drinking a beer over there. Well, I don't want people to think I'm drinking a beer because I don't drink beer. What about this one? Forgive one another. Oh, they have to ask for forgiveness. Where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say, wait until they ask for forgiveness. I've heard that a million times. I'm not going to forgive them until they ask me to forgive them. Well, who do you think you are? My goodness. It says to forgive one another. As you forgive, your Lord forgives you the same way. How about How about this? Don't gossip. Don't do it. Don't gossip. Don't gossip. Don't do it. Don't gossip. Don't repeat it. Don't gossip. Gossip causes so many problems in families, in churches, at work, at school. What about going to church? Well, you're all here, so that's good. Where does it say you have to go to church, Pastor Rick? Well, I'll tell you. I'll paraphrase Hebrews 10, 10 24 and 25. Uh, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, especially as you see the, the day of the Lord coming. Go to church. Where do we get this idea we don't have to go to? Oh, people tell, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to Bible study. I go online. Man, you have fellowship with a screen. How about a real person? How about a Q&A? How about confronting issues in your life, you know, man-to-man, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball? No, no, I'm all set. Yeah, you're all set. I'll see you in a month or two when you get fed up with all that baloney. But (laughs) go to church. What about consecrating your tongue? You know, consecrate your tongue. Let your tongue be used to bless people, not to curse people, to give life to people, not to give death to people. Right? These are all under the category of obedience, so the shepherds were obedient. They heard, they had faith, they acted on their faith, they went there, and they saw the Christ child, but that really makes us think about how obedient are we? How, how deep is our faith to make us really change our lives and our lifestyle? The third quality is this, and uh, I always thought that this was really part of the package from the very beginning. When I first got saved, one of my pastors told me, they said, Rick, I think you have the gift of evangelism. You, you might be an evangelist one day. I never thought about it. I always thought that being evangelistic was just part of the territory. Without a title or without even a, a platform to preach from, I'm not even talking about preaching. I'm just talking about being the type of a person that doesn't hide your faith. So these guys, after they, after they heard this announcement, they saw the baby, verse number 17, the, the paraphrase that, they told everybody they could what they saw, and what they heard. They told everybody. They told it in verse 18. They told it in such a way that people marveled with their story. I love that part of it. I never want to tell my story to make people bored. I can tell you about my friend Lenny. You all know about my friend Lenny. That was not a boring conversation with Lenny that day. And when I repeat the story of my life and my salvation, I don't want people to be bored. I want people to be engaged in what I'm saying. But that's that's a little evangelistic in nature. We want to engage people in this. So, I, I, again, Ebenezer Scrooge, he woke up that day. He couldn't wait to tell somebody that he was different. He had to go back and make things right with so many people. We should have some of that with us. Can I get an amen there? Do you know what I'm talking about? So Romans ten nine, I never really thought about this too much, but it says, if we confess with our, our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But if we confess with our mouth, oh my goodness, you mean I can't keep it my big secret? No, you're supposed to talk about it because it affected your whole life. And as you talk about it, it, it solidifies what God has done in your life. I remember when I first came to the Lord, my pastor said, go, go tell somebody about your faith. And I said, why? He goes, it'll do you good. I said, all right. And you know what? It did me good. Not that I got into much detail. I didn't know much about the Bible. Then, but I told people what I could, that Jesus Christ was my Savior. That was, that was really important. And that solidified my faith in the Lord. And the Lord was pleased with that. Mark, uh, Mark 5, in verse 19, one of my favorite uh, passages, the story of the demoniac of Gadarene. Mark 5, you should read it if you don't know it. This guy was so demon-possessed, he was cutting himself and screaming and running around living in a cemetery. He was, he was a wreck. And Jesus came and ministered to him, cast out multitudes of demons. And, and as the story unfolds, we, we find this guy now sitting and clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now Jesus is ready to leave there, getting back into the boat. And he says, Lord, I want to come with you. And you would have thought Jesus would have said, yeah, come on. You could be the next apostle or whatever. He said, no, 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 you can't come with me. Go home. Tell your friends what great things God has done for you, how he has had compassion on you. And from that, I learned how important it is to be evangelistic in our in our character and nature, to tell somebody what God has done for us. Notice he says, go home and tell them. Sometimes home could be the most difficult place to tell people. But sometimes it's the best place because people know the transition in your life. I, that's my experience. I go home and tell people, I say, really? I say, yeah, man, God is real. This is my story, and, and it's a great opportunity. And then, of course, we have scriptures like uh, like Mark 16, 15, going to all the world and preach. But But it's just a quality that we should, we are evangelical Christians, you know. So evangelical, meaning we love to be evangelistic, not that everyone's going to be a, evangelist per se, but we shall have a quality of evangelism about us because we can reach people in our places, in our world that other people can't. The last thing is this. I'm going to close with this, but the shepherds were very thankful. Verse number 20 says they, uh, they returned back to the fields glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Uh, I, I, I get the I get the impression here that they were just thankful, they were giving God praise and glory. They were a thankful people, they, and they had to go back to work. It's not like you know they had this great encounter and God said, "Okay, you don't have to be shepherds anymore. You could be a you could be the sheep owner now. You could live in the mansion." That's a prosperity message. Come to Jesus, you could live in the mansion. Forget about being a shepherd. No, no, they went back to be shepherds, but they went back being different types of shepherds because they had Jesus in their heart, they had a belief in their heart. And so I, I, I want to raise this question. How can you how can you tell uh when someone is thankful toward God? You know, I think you can tell. You can tell by the countenance on their faith, on their face is not worried with anxiety. Their countenance is clear. You ever see a kind of like a happy person? It's just their they don't even say anything, it's just their countenance radiates the love of God. Their voice is clear and confident. Their eyes sparkle a little bit. And it's not hard to help that person praise God. Like you don't have to prime the pump for a half an hour to get somebody to worship God. I always say Sunday morning service begins on Saturday night. I still believe that to be true. As you get yourself ready for the day. And it begins at 1045. (laughs) So many Thanksgiving scriptures. We just had Thanksgiving it was a great day, a great season. In fact, there's a wonderful picture of me holding the, the carved turkey. And someone said, the cook. And I'm going to write back, no, 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 not the cook, the carver of the turkey. I said, I, I'm not the turkey. I'm the carver of the turkey. But Thanksgiving, First Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Come on. Give thanks to the Lord. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He loves us. He wants good for us. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Psalm five two and 3. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Music and song. We give praise to God. So where are the shepherds today? I'm not talking about, you know, this isn't really hard. This is basic, but we're the ones that are faithful to God regardless of what's going on in your life. We're the ones that are obedient to God no matter what the culture says we should or shouldn't be doing. We're the ones that are evangelistic not to be a somebody, not to have a title, but just to be a representative of God in the world where we live, to spread a little salt on the earth where we live. We're those that are thankful to God in spite of our circumstances. I was in other countries before. Believe me when I tell you, people worship God all over the world, and they go home to some very difficult situations. Some are looking for food for their families, but they're worshiping God. You see what I mean? This is the real faith that I'm talking about. So I'll leave you with this one scripture, then we're going to go into communion. But Luke 2.20, we just read it, but the shepherds returned. They returned to their workplace. They went back to the humdrum life that they had, but now they were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. I wonder if you are ready to go back to work, go back to school, or go back to your families, or go back to your life with the, the risen living Christ so alive in your spirit. You may not, you, your job may have nothing to do with serving the Lord. You know, most jobs don't. But the people you work with can see there's something different about you because Christ is alive in your heart. We're the shepherds today. I believe they're all over the place. I just want to activate everybody. Now's the time to do it. It's December. Christmas is coming, New Year's coming. Let's end this year with a bang for Jesus, right? Serving the Lord with a full heart. Amen.